Welcome to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this post-game edition. It's uh, 1.44 in the morning, Sunday morning, fresh off uh, Oregon 36-27 victory over the USC Trojans, the fifth largest crowd ever at Austin Stadium. Um, the pregame hype was uh, – fulfilled by the Autzen crowd. I thought it was a pretty awesome atmosphere at Autzen. Um, the, the, basically, the stands were full like 10 minutes before kickoff. Like You don't normally see that. Um, it's a late-arriving crowd usually. And the game started off just on fire. Uh, Oregon two plays, or five total plays, two touchdowns. Bo Nix had like a QBR rating of like 1,100. Um, it looked like this game was going to go the way uh, – of like 60 to 20 or something of that nature by Oregon. And then Eric, you looked to me in the fourth quarter and was like, holy crap, uh, USC scores here. It's a one score game. Uh, and they win by nine. They dominate statistically in every category. And yet USC had a way to, to at least get a one possession game. They didn't, um, they failed a two point conversion, but it was a weird game. Yeah. It was a weird game. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I think, first off, anytime you beat USC, a team that talented, this puts you very, very close to clinching a spot in the Pac-12 championship. They can clinch it basically next week. All of that's awesome. Like, I, I want to up, mm-hmm. up, off the top here, and I know at times we may be come across not enjoying the moment as much as we could, but this one certainly had some less than savory things at the end of it. But, like... Oregon played, I thought, pretty damn well for the most part in this game and then kind of stubbed their toe here and there late from some certain spots. And that was really a difference between this being a, a game that was much closer to the, our predictions, which was two, three, four score margin, as opposed to being one that was a nine-point game, which I guess is still a two-score margin. But, yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, I, I while the game, it was one of those weird games where I never really doubted Oregon was going to win. But it was also like kind of USC's a little too close for comfort here at the end here after some execution errors, after Camden Lewis misses another field goal. USC comes right down the field. Thank God, I think it was Roger Present makes the the tackle there at the one-yard line to stop the two-point conversion from from going, um, going over the goal line or else USC is a, a one-score game. But regardless, like, I, I, I think Oregon showed why they are ranked where they are. There are probably going to be some detractors nationally that'll point to this being too close of a game, even though it really wasn't a very close game for anyone who actually stayed up long enough to watch it. And that's actually one of the the negatives of playing a night game like this is that there are going to be some folks in the East coast who just didn't watch much of this at all. And are going to say, Oh man, we're going to only beat USC by nine. That's, that's underwhelming. This wasn't really an underwhelming performance, at least in my eyes, there were some plinks to kind of nitpick and I'm sure we'll get through some of that, but like overall, I thought Oregon played, pretty darn well they got in like i said earlier they got in their own way too many times mm-hmm. probably to call this like a more than a, a b or a b plus performance but usc is a really talented football team and for really the majority of this game it, it really wasn't very close yeah it was certainly a weird game um there certainly were some things that we could like pinpoint and talk about like the penalty is obviously a huge issue 13 of them for 120 yards um some were pretty questionable, I have to say. I'm not usually one to bash on the referees, but there were there were a couple ones where on on both sides, honestly, where it was like, 
I don't know about that one. And uh, that, you know, stuff like that happens. Um, this game wasn't close. Like, I know the score, it's nine points, and some people will, you know, go on the ESPN app or whatever you use and say, oh, they only won by nine. That's close. It just wasn't. Like, Oregon dominated the heck out of this game. Um, Bo Nix was great. Uh, obviously, begins the game with the two touchdown passes, like we mentioned, 77 and 84 yarder. Um, Oregon's offense was just firing on all cylinders. I mean, shoot, 552 total yards, 140 on the ground. I thought the 140 on the ground was probably the most surprising thing. Uh, I expected Oregon to just dominate at the line of scrimmage. And I'm not saying that they didn't because there were still a good amount of you know big chunk plays from Bucky Irving, um, you know, six, seven, eight yards of carry at, at points. But um, uh, USC was dealing with some injuries in their secondary, and Oregon took full advantage of that. Um, there were just some execution things, like Eric pointed out, where – uh, you know, they shot themselves in the foot. They got down in the red zone or down like inside the USC 30 and had a, a holding penalty or had an il- ineligible man downfield or just something that happened that, you know, kind of took a took the rhythm out of their offense and maybe settled for a field goal or uh, eventually ended up scoring. But th- it just wasn't clean. Like the first quarter was how I expected the game to be for all four quarters where you know, a lot of big plays for Oregon, a lot of chunk plays, some chunk plays for USC too. Um, but I, honestly, I think the most one of the most impressive things about today was Oregon's defense against USC. Uh, you know, only allowing 379 total yards, keeping Caleb Williams to 300 and or no, sorry, 291 yards under 300. Uh, I don't have his stats pulled up in front of me, but that's pretty low on the totem pole for total yards that Caleb Williams has thrown in a game. Um, they dominated in run defense. USC had 73 total yards on the ground on 25 carries. Uh, sack adjusted, it's 103. Um, I thought they did really, really good there. And that was a huge point of emphasis that I had going into the game where when USC is able to establish a run with Marshawn Lloyd, um, their passing games become better. And Oregon did this in the second half without Kyrie Jackson and Jaleel Florence for most of it. I think they only got maybe one drive with Kyrie Jackson. I don't even think Jaleel Florence played in the second half. So I I thought it was good defense all around from Oregon. Um, Certainly encouraging. Like you're not like, you know, last week against Washington, USC put up 42 points and almost 600 yards of total offense. Like this is certainly an encouraging victory. It's just a, just not the score I think right. many of us anticipated. Um, and honestly, it could have been, you know, maybe you add in the two extra points because of the missed two-point conversions. It's 38-27. But even still, like Oregon, eight, 8.8 yards per play. Like they dominated this game. It just didn't show up on the scoreboard. And that's fine. I, I don't know if they necessarily need to win with style at this point. We're blowing out opponents, but – just a weird, weird score. Should have been should have been closer to our predictions, like Eric said. Bo said the the offense just let the defense down in the fourth quarter. Made too many mistakes, yeah. too many penalties, didn't convert drives that should have resulted in points. And you know, it's probably what it is. They scored every possession they had in the first half, except for the one where they took a knee to end the first half. Um, yeah. That's pretty damn good. They scored on their second on the first drive of the second half, which was like a six and almost a seven minute drive, I think. Um, 
they were really, really good offensively. And then all of a sudden they just kind of, I don't know, hit a bump in the road. And I I think that speaks to a, how just good they can be when they fire on all cylinders, because this wasn't even like a B plus level game. I mean, Eric will give grades. He'll give his, his grades later today. Um, But if it was me grading, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them a B plus. I would maybe give them a B. And yet, like we were talking last week against Cal, like they dominated a USC team that's on paper. They have a lot of they have a lot of talent up and down the board. I mean, Caleb Williams is, is an absolute magician with the football. He's awesome. Um, so good. he is tremendous. Mm-hmm. And to Jared's point, like their best offense was basically asking Caleb Williams to, to do a, a magic trick and he evade four pass rushers and run around outside contain and just chuck the ball deep and, and hope one of their receivers could get open, which happened at times. Um, and other times it, it, it didn't happen. Um, we talked about going under this, into this game. Like I think all three of us were curious of how much pressure Oregon would be able to generate defensively. Um, I don't know what the pressures total numbers are, but I think their season high was like 28 via PFF. Um, they mm-hmm. might double that when PFF releases their grades later today. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he was pressured every single time he threw the football in, in, in the PFF grades. Oregon's front seven was tremendous. Yeah, I, I... – I don't know if they'll double just because I don't even know if there are enough dropbacks. But your, but your point, Matt, like it was very, very nearly a, a season high, I would guess. And, you know, this, the more I'm thinking about this as we're talking this out, doesn't this kind of remind you of the Washington State game for several reasons? A, the school final score is a little closer than what it really was, but also B, like when the opposition was having success, it was just a quarterback making stupid plays and stupid in a good yeah. way of just yeah. – Avoiding pressure, rolling, throwing the ball downfield. Guys were pretty well covered a lot of the time. Like there was one really clear defensive breakdown where I think it was the tight end for USC um, was just running open down the back end of the field. I think there was a, a miscommunication with the safety in the corner or something there. But mm-hmm. other than that, like I thought the coverage was really good. Um, as Jared said, with if, even without your top two guys for basically the entire second half. It was just a game where, yeah, like you, you know, a win's a win. Like you have to accept that. Like Oregon didn't win this one pretty, and guess what? That's okay too. Washington, since they played Oregon, hasn't lost, but this would be like the most dominant performance that they've had <laughs> in that whole span too, right? right. Like I think they beat um, they beat USC last week by by ten, but other than that, it's been all like one score wins for Washington. Like so, you're allowed to have a game where you don't just completely put the foot down. And I understand it's frustrating. Because, like, I think, yeah, objectively, they didn't finish this game as well as they could, especially on offense. They had too many penalties. They missed a field goal. Um, they, they, you know, I think actually one that could have been really big but didn't end up being was the fact that they um, had an incomplete pass on that third down before they iced it on the pass to Bucky because it wouldn't have probably mattered too much, but that kind of kept some clock from running off. You could have easily, if you ran the ball and, and picked up three or four yards, you could have killed 40 more seconds. Again, these are like small, minute details, but for a team that aims to play in a college football playoff, which again, they're just a couple of wins, three wins potentially away from doing, and all of these kind of things matter. So um, like, I, I think you come away from this one feeling like, okay, it's behind you, 
the final two games to me are both extremely winnable. I don't, this doesn't change at all how I feel about this team. I might have a little less confidence and the confidence continues to drop in the place kicking. Um, but like otherwise, like I, I guess the penalties are frustrating. I'll just be honest. Like just, just because there were so many of them and they came in really bad spots, as we've said and Dan said in post game, I didn't agree with some of them. Like I thought the PI call on Tyshim Johnson on fourth down was pretty bad. I thought there were a couple of calls on offensive linemen for Oregon that were kind of head scratchers. Like you watched the play and again and went like, I, I don't know. Are they just like, I, are they just, aren't they just maybe bigger and stronger than the guys they are going against and they're manhandling in them and they're getting called for mm-hmm. things. It felt a little bit of that, but you want to see that stuff cleaned up. And that's certainly the penalties has been a, a storyline all year that Dan has brought up. I mean, go back to the Texas tech game. That was the big talking point and you need to, you would like to see it corrected. But I, I hope nobody comes out of this game feeling worse about Oregon's chances to do something special this year. Because I thought, like, Bo Nix certainly answered the call. This is, we say this every week, I feel like one of his better games, completed 74% of his passes, 412 yards are a season high. He had four touchdowns. The the touchdown pass to, to, to Terrence Ferguson, I think, is another one of those. Great throw, yeah. Great throws. It's a Sunday throw right down the seam to the tight end. But... Like and I thought the defense to Jared's point, I won't even really reiterate most of it because I just agreed with, with basically all of it. And it's also two in the morning now, and I don't want to want to be talking for too long. But I thought the defense played great. And I thought you saw the type of players make the types of plays you were hoping and expecting to make. And and so yeah, I, I think you come away from this game and there's a couple of things to quibble with. And shoot, you would like to see the game a little bit more lopsided because maybe there will be some national inclination to downplay this win just because you see that you we saw that happen just this last week on the show from from Greg McElroy about games that happened a really long time ago. So I'm sure this will be fuel to the fire for those guys. But like, I thought they played pretty damn good. And there's a couple of things here and there, but I, I, I hope there aren't people out there really hitting the alarm bell. Cause I, I don't think it needs to be hit. And I think Oregon is going to go down to Tempe next week and take care of business. And I, I feel just as confident that they'll, they'll hold off Oregon state and what I think will be one of the more competitive games of Pac-12 play for the ducks. But one, I feel very confident they'll win. Yeah, I 100% agree. I just think this is a a situation where we have seen what Oregon can do at like their very best. And I think, I still think the Utah game is probably the best exhibit of when they play their very best. And that's just the standard now. That's the universal standard that Dan Lanning has wanted to put into this program and has shown over the course of specifically this year that they can reach. And when they don't reach it, um, it feels a little bit disappointing to, to those who are watching. And I, I guess I would kind of qualify today's game as that, just the inability to go and really put the game out of reach. Um, you know, like Troy Franklin had that huge, I think it was like 53 yards or something like that, to set Oregon up for a real scoring opportunity, a touchdown opportunity to put them – uh, I think at the time was ahead by three scores and Oregon shot themselves in the foot with some penalties. And then it was a missed field goal by Camden Lewis where you come away with nothing. And it's kind of like, well, if that was executed better, again, this, the score would be different. And I think that's just kind of the overall uh, feeling that I have from the game where it's like Oregon did a, a lot of things well, like no doubt about it. It's just the the score doesn't indicate how much better they were than USC was today. And that's fine. It is what it is. 
um, people on the East Coast will not have watched this entire game. And um, maybe they watched the first half, though, which means that they saw some of the very good moments that Oregon had during the game and these explosive plays and a defensive line that got to got to Caleb Williams a lot and often and really made his life very difficult. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's some positives to it, but uh, I, I just thought that Oregon played great and the score is entirely not reflective of how good they were on the field today. Eric brought up Bo Nix and the Heisman during the game, um, bet MGM and multiple other sports books updated the Heisman odds. And he's now officially the favorite. Um, at minus one fifty, Michael Penix is second highest at plus two seventy five. It's quite a, a run for Bo Nix considering Four weeks ago, it was plus three thousand. I was just going to say, that. I was just going to say, Matt, man, we should have. I hope people listen to us when we said bet that because it looks that's pretty good odds compared to what you're getting now. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty darn incredible uh, climb there. Um, Troy Franklin also um, over a thousand yards for the season. First player since Dylan Mitchell in 2018. Uh, he's 91 yards away from the single season record of 1,184 yards. That could that could be done next week, probably at, AS, at ASU. Um, and we talked about this last week. Tez has opened the door; it's officially wide open for Oregon to have its second ever t- uh, two receiver 1,000 yard performances in the same season. Um, the only time it's ever happened previously is 98. Damon Griffin and Tony Hartley both did it with a thousand yards. Um, he sits, at, I think, seven twenty-five on the season. Um, if they play thirteen games and he continues to average what he does, he's going to hit it. And I don't know if I thought that was possible three weeks ago. He is. I, I think maybe we could end it here with this. Is I I think this offense has shifted a little bit. Um, we are seeing them stretch the field down down the field and horizontally with crossing routes, whether it was Troy Franklin's like 84-yard slant that he went and just ran away from USC's defense, which was awesome. Or, you know, Tez is more, was more like a comeback spin out of a tackle. But both guys, we've I think we've seen some – um, adjusting by Will Stein, Oregon's offensive coordinator. They're they're putting these two guys in positions where they're just pulling away from, from the defenses, and it's taken, I think, the offense to another level. Kind of a weird Troy game. He had two catches yeah. for 147 yards and a touchdown. He had three total targets. Like I'm just looking at it going like, wow, he was only targeted three times all game. Tez had 11. Like The target yep. share has very much kind of flipped the last couple weeks, and to Matt's point on – Tez now being in play to have a thousand yards. I agree. And like, yeah, you're right. Two weeks ago, that didn't feel possible because he's had like 306 yards 60, and yeah. four touchdowns six, the last yeah. two games. Like it's, he's playing incredibly well. I know he had some drops, which if you want to go to duckterritory.com, yeah, you can see some folks litigating the fact that he's making mistakes. But um, yeah, the passing game is, is kind of evolving in a way that I like. I like to see it a little bit more, spread around like this is another actually a really good terrence ferguson game this is probably his best game of the season he had six catches mm-hmm. for 60 yards and and, and and the touchdown i mentioned earlier um still not getting a lot from the other outside receiver uh gary bryant had two for 23 one was that one of them was a pretty big 
catch at least in a big spot. But yeah, I agree, Matt. Um, kind of fun to see them have this little two-headed monster. And, and Tez and Troy were talking after the game about how they're kind of challenging each other on the sideline. Like, oh, you got the first one. I'm going to go get the second one. And, and and kind of competing with each other for for stats, which which is, you know, you like, you like to see kind of having that opportunity to have multiple guys. And it's, it's clear that not that Bo doesn't have or hadn't had confidence in, in Tez previously. Those two are are, are brothers, but you're, you're, you are see, start, starting to see him kind of emerge a little bit. Um, I had one other thing I wanted to bring up, but if, if Jared has further thoughts on the pass game, we can you can go there. Yeah, just just real quick. Um, I think USC and Cal have or did have tried to do a like a bracket on Troy and just kind of always keep two guys around. I thought USC actually played really good man defense against Troy and really tried to keep him out of the game. And that's why Bo has gone to Tez so often. But, um, you know, this was the kind of a dream scenario for Oregon fans heading into the year that Tez was going to be a clear number two to Troy Franklin's number one. And um, I think the offense has become, uh, I, I don't know if it's changed a lot, but it certainly has changed because Bo can't go to Troy all the time now. And he's looking at other guys like Terrence Ferguson. I think that these guys have been open on these routes, but Troy has also been open. And Troy is usually running the deeper routes that gain more yards. So I think that um, now that people are bracketing and trying to double Troy and keep him contained, these routes are open because it's a great offense that Will Stein runs and it's easy looks for Bo Nix to make. And now that the other guys are or the people are really, really focused on Troy. It's that giving Tez and Terrence and the occasional Gary Bryant in there um, to get to get catches and get these easy reads. So um, I think that's that's about it. Oh, and uh, one more thing: Troy Franklin on his third target almost had another touchdown. He just mm. got hit by the turf monster and got sniped. So I don't know if it would have been a touchdown. He was certainly running free. So I felt pretty good about his uh, potential to jump up and make a catch and score a touchdown, but we'll never know. He got tripped up. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. He could have had easily like three catches for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Like that could have been his stat line if not for mm -hmm. whatever happened there. I, I just wanted to highlight Evan Williams's play. Not that we don't talk about him enough in this podcast, but just the stat line is one of, I think, the more impressive ones we've seen from an individual. Nine tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery and a pass breakup, he was all over the place and but, yeah. and continues to play at a really, really high level. And I, and I also wanted to shout out Jordan Birch, who I think we probably talk about quite a bit as well. But I, I thought he, even though statistically it doesn't show up, it just felt like he was around the ball a ton, especially in the backfield, yeah. forcing forcing at least Caleb to hit a couple times that was near sacks where it's just Caleb Williams is really hard to bring down. And, and Jordan Birch forced him to make some some tough plays. So I just want to toss those two names out there, and, and I'm sure we can – if it wasn't almost 2.10 right now in the morning, I, I think we could have a, an extensive Camden-Lewis conversation, but maybe yeah, we save that uh, one for, for Monday. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure we can treat Monday's mailbag as a mailbag, but also kind of clean up some thoughts from, from tonight. That, that for sure, cool. yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, a quick one, but a good one. Uh, again, Oregon wins 36-27 over USC, 9-1 and now on the season. They head to the desert on Saturday uh, to take on the Sun Devils. Jared and I will be there. We'll have full coverage leading up to that one on DuckTerritory.com. Until then, you've been listening to the Otson Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.
Peace.